Hello, welcome back to the Left Lens. It's Danny Haifong here, and I'm with my wonderful co-host, Margaret Kimberly, once again. Um, and we're going to just do a little preview, I guess, of the election. So <laughs> what is there to talk about, Margaret? I mean, so much has happened since we've last been able to talk. We've been super busy uh, yeah. doing a lot of events, doing a lot of interviews, our mm -hmm. columns every week. So, yeah, wh where should we start? What do you think, Margaret? Well, uh, you know, we, we don't know. It is, it is going to be funny uh, listening to this after election day. But uh, since we last spoke, President Trump was diagnosed with COVID. It seems not to have happened at all. He and uh, a fair number of other people at the White House at a ceremony to announce the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court have tested positive, including the former governor of New Jersey, a senator, uh, people on Trump's staff. He was in the hospital for, it was very, it's all very Trumpian, of course. So um, we learned that he tested positive on his, uh, one of his tweets on a Friday he says he's fine. He's just going to rest in the White House. By the end of the day, he goes to Walter Reed Hospital. Uh, he leaves a couple days later, He, including having an impromptu little parade. with. Uh, uh, he's supposed to be sick, but he's in his car waving. Oh, and yeah, the motorcade. He goes, he goes back to the White House, has this very dramatic moment on a balcony. Yes, that, that it, was like a pre, it was like a movie preview, you know, yes, almost like something was. out of Terminator was, or something. It was crazy. Um, uh, people, you know, had hissy fits because he wasn't wearing a mask, but he wasn't around anybody. So, you know, whatever. It was his uh, photo op moment. But Trump um, cannot be taken lightly, lest we forget four years ago we were being told he couldn't win. And uh, now we're being told Joe Biden is ahead in the polls. I don't know what that means. Mm. I don't know how reliable polling is at all um, because we have the Electoral College, which um, uh, allows someone who, as Trump did in 2016, the person who got fewer votes to assume the presidency. So uh, people may there may be more people telling pollsters that they want Joe Biden, but it doesn't mean that Biden is going to win. Mm -hmm. uh, he's having Trump is having huge rallies. His faithful are coming out. Biden has fewer public appearances. Not as many people show up. They say it's because of COVID and. You know, Democrats believe in science, so they're not going to go out. And I, that's part of it. But I think he's just not does not have the enthusiasm amongst his supporters, the level of enthusiasm that Trump does. So it's up in the air. I don't know who's going to win. I, I don't feel comfortable making a prediction. Um, also, we have to remember the impact of voter suppression, mm -hmm. the voter caging. The people being purged off the rolls. I was reading this morning that in Georgia, as an example, people are taking off, taken off the rolls because they allegedly moved and didn't re-register. And thousands of people said, I never moved. So there's all kind of underhanded schemes to uh, keep especially black people from mm -hmm. voting because 90% of black people will vote for the Democrat. People are purged in a variety of schemes. So that is something that has to always be taken into account. So I am not comfortable saying who is going to to win. There's so many 
aspects to this that I think are are just not being talked about. Uh, I mean, look, Joe Biden could win or Donald mm-hmm. Trump could win. I, I think yep. that there's so many factors that surround all of that. And I don't think we've ever really been in this moment that we're in in the United States. It's a very unique one because you mm-hmm. throw in a pandemic. It's not like we've never been in an economic crisis before an election that happened in 2008 when Obama uh, won that election. But we also have the pandemic thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, arguably, the effects of this economic crisis aren't even being felt. And worse, the effects of the economic crisis right now are not even being talked about seriously. Right. Yep. Uh, J- Joe Biden has not been able to do what Obama was able to do during that economic crisis, which is really lay the blame at the feet of the Republican Party, as well as pose as some kind of alternative. I, I think that we've passed through now, I think it's been uh, nearly 12, 13 years since uh, that uh, period of the 08 economic crisis. And things are a lot different in the United States uh, uh, the political situation is a lot more chaotic. And with the pandemic and the economic crisis coming together at mm-hmm. this time, and then you have Donald Trump, who seemingly at some stages of this campaign was almost trying to lose. It was almost like he was just his, his stupidity or just his lack of political tact uh really helped Biden stay in this thing, because I think uh, Trump is right in one sense, if the pandemic didn't happen and his administration uh, completely neglected, that, yeah, Biden may not have had any chance in this election. But we can't make a prediction now because I think a lot of Biden's uh, chances of winning hinge on the fact that Trump is almost losing it. But then even after all of the things that have happened, as you stated, the COVID-19 diagnosis and how he handled that personally right before an election, the first presidential debate where, you know, he was obviously trying to send a message to the media and to his supporters, uh, to uh, opposing messages, but uh, strong ones nonetheless. But it didn't really land because he doesn't look like the alternative candidate anymore. He doesn't look like the outsider candidate anymore. No, he's not. But at the same time, Joe Biden is, um, I think, even a worse candidate than Hillary Clinton in some ways because he doesn't have the political tact. He doesn't have the ability to maneuver around some of his issues Hillary Clinton, basically, you know, she had the WikiLeaks scandal, the emails, mm-hmm. all of that was hugely important. But now Joe Biden has this Hunter Biden scandal, and all he can do is scream at reporters who try to ask him about it. He doesn't even try to address it. So in a sense, I think that we have a situation where Joe Biden is such a poor candidate that he could lose this despite all that Trump has done to basically delegitimize and discredit himself as some kind of outsider candidate. We've seen what the last four years have been like for people. We haven't seen any alternative uh, policies to uh, the war machine or big finance taxes for the rich have been cut, all of this. But Joe Biden, in a sense, has no policy prescriptions that can really counter 
Donald Trump in a lot of ways. So policy has been completely left out of this election. So more so than 2016, definitely. Oh, absolutely. You know, Biden, uh, the Democrats were determined not to, they are committed to ignoring the issues that would actually help them win because they're, so for example, Medicare for all. Uh, we already have this horrible health care system where people go broke if they get sick, even if they have insurance. Um, it, it, so we need Medicare for all. We need this uh, health care system like other, all the countries we always compare ourselves to, other quote unquote advanced countries, democracies, whatever. All of them, everybody has the right to health care. Everybody gets health care. They pay little or nothing for it. That is what we need. But that would harm the Democratic Party donor class, insurance companies, the big pharma. Um, that would impact them. So they don't want to put forward this plan, which would guarantee them victory. Uh, pr promising to raise the minimum wage would guarantee them uh, victory. So they uh, are trying to, they're doing their usual, trying to win around the edges. And even though now the Trump is the, himself president and can't claim to be an outsider, even though he, he does. Uh, as an incumbent, he has a record to run on. Uh, America has, um, we have one of the worst COVID death rates in the world, more than 200,000 people dead and rising. We have a so-called second wave, or is it a third wave? I don't know what it is, but the infection rates are rising in various parts of the country. And winter is, is coming on, the cold mm. weather, which is all, you always see an increase in any communicable disease at this time of year. Yes. So he should lose in a landslide. It shouldn't be close. There should be no question that Donald Trump is um, a lame duck and that uh, he will be defeated. But because the Democrats were so concerned and they deep-sixed Bernie Sanders again, the person, again, the person most likely to win, uh, and they went to Joe Biden, of all people, of all their candidates, a man who has, he's been holding it together lately, but for most of the year, frankly, he appeared to have be in some state of cognitive decline, mm -hmm. um, and uh, himself. So, so yeah. you have this candidate who... Um, is the is the result of uh, I'm going to just call it corruption, Democratic Party corruption, um, who cannot guarantee victory, even though Trump has done such a terrible job um, with this pandemic. But I also want to say about COVID, I think the U.S. death toll would have been high regardless of who was president. Now, some of these things are unique to Trump, um, uh, not um, heeding the advice of scientists, but we also know that the U.S. was far behind. Everyone wants to blame China. By the mm. end of January, China told the world everything it knew. Yes, it's communicable. Here's the genome. Go ahead and test. And the U.S. messed all of that up. And our healthcare system, again, where people were just turned away, mostly black people, not treated, um, uh, deciding that some people were essential work workers and but didn't mm -hmm. get any protection. Some of those things would have happened regardless, but Trump was the yeah. one that happened on his watch. So he gets the blame and he should be, there should be no question that he uh, would lose, but that's not the case. Yeah, no, exactly right. And 
One of the funny things that uh, Trump, I'll call them just Trump apologists uh, on the right wing, uh, say is that, oh, Trump's COVID-19 response was good because our system works to privilege governors and governors took their own measures and that's how it should be because that's how our system is. And, you know, regardless, there's a lot of problems to that. But one of the ironic things about that is that um, Joe Biden is not necessarily against that. He has flip-flopped on something as simple as a mask mandate around the country. He said first that he would allow states to make their own decisions about it. Now he's saying, oh, it would just, it would be a federal uh, demand on states and governors wouldn't necessarily have that ability to make their own independent decisions. So he's flip-flopped on that. And we know that the Democratic Party's policy ever since the Uh, Democratic Leadership Council in the 90s became the uh, Reagan arm of the party and and basically took it over, is that the Democratic Party has done very similar things uh, when it comes to welfare reform in the 90s. Bill Clinton uh, slashing welfare, a huge component of that was uh, giving block grants to the state instead of having uh, just direct federal funding for welfare for folks. So states were able to decide how much uh, they wanted, and the federal government uh, cut the overall amount and gave small portions to states. And that's basically how the cuts occurred. And that's why people, families, especially many uh, black women and uh, a lot of uh, black fathers as well, they make so little trying to take care of children um, on what's now TANF, TAMF, the so-called welfare system. So so this whole notion that, uh, you know, Joe Biden somehow represents an alternative to addressing COVID-19 is not necessarily based in fact, because, look, do we ex- did, do we think that Joe Biden would have stood up to Andrew Cuomo for his policies in New York state? Probably not, because they're, they would likely be aligned with each other politically and Andrew Cuomo would have taken the same measures and you would have had still 30,000 plus people die, you know, 20,000 plus people die here in New York State. Um, and the same goes for elsewhere. California, I know, has had a large number of deaths as well. And that's a Democratic uh, state. Yes. <laughs> so so I think it's just um, it's just really important in this moment to recognize that however, whatever people decision people make in this election, I think. People should make the decision to, um, you know, uh, focus more on building a movement to uh, to to really challenge and, and get rid of this duopoly system that we have. But whatever decision they make, people make within the election should be made with the knowledge of the fact that there are going to be some very stark continuities between the Trump administration and maybe a Biden administration. Regardless of who wins, we're going to see uh, a very similar policy on a lot of issues, uh, especially the bailouts of big finance and Wall Street, especially issues of um, austerity. So we're Mm -hmm. going to see public budgets at all level of governance be slashed. We're going to see the military be given more money to try to contain China or saber rattle with Russia, uh, escalate with Iran. 
we're going to see very stark continuities in that area. We may see some slight tweaks with the Biden administration on strategy, but we've already seen how Biden flanks to the right on very critical issues like Russia, like uh, Venezuela. We know that a, a lot of the pain that people are suffering, that people are suffering from in this moment, both domestically and abroad, is not going to be addressed. So if that's the case, then our job, I think, in this election is not to champion one candidate or the other. It's to talk about and then organize around the problems that we're facing right now, but also the problems that we can expect to have regardless of who wins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Biden's committed to austerity. And that's why we have this high, one of the reasons we have this high death rate. Um, we People living in poverty, the Stimulus bills um, uh, in the COVID era were never enough. Uh, everyone got a meager $1,200, at the most, $1,200. Uh, people who are unemployed did get an additional $600 a week. That ended in July. Um, and now it's October. What are people going to do? There are people who are being evicted, people who are going hungry, people who are being made homeless. Uh, because uh, of this system. Now, the Democrats say they want a bill, and there's this haggling between the Democrats and Republicans. And um, But uh, the, the bottom line is uh, we live in a country that does not care about human... Human needs come last. That's never the priority. Yep. The priority for the duopoly is making their donor class happy. Um, those are a variety of groups and uh, giving direct aid to the people, which is the, the only way, after COVID shut down uh, so many sectors of the economy, the only thing to do was to make people whole. But um, that's not the priority. And so we have a lot of suffering and it's going to continue into 2021. So we will see if, if Biden wins and, and the other thing with the U.S., the fact he because we have this divided government, he could win, but the Republicans could still control the Senate. Yes. Um, and uh, there, there doesn't seem to be any thinking about Democrats losing the House. But um, uh, so we don't know. Uh, not only do we know not who's, who's not going to win, but we do know that austerity is still the order of the day for um, for the Democrats as well as it is for the Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. And when even if Biden and I think this is important uh, because, you know, it's not like there aren't differences between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, even rhetorically. Of course, there mm -hmm. are. Uh, there would not be an election at all if uh that there was such stark, if the similarities between the two were indiscernible. But when we look at, let's say, how the last Democratic Party administration behaved with even a supermajority, uh, you know, within Congress and the, in the House and the Senate, we know that a lot of the things that people want and wanted, especially at that time, single payer, employee free choice act to make unionization easier, those things went out the window and mm -hmm. the Democrats negotiated a huge bailout, a continuation of the bailout for Wall Street uh, that amounted to trillions of dollars. And 
we got the Affordable Care Act, which was a huge concession to insurance and pharmaceutical companies, especially the insurance companies, which now basically have total control over uh, health care almost um, just without question, even mm-hmm. things like Medicaid, even though Medicaid was expanded, it was expanded on the basis that uh, a lot of these private plans would administer. And we see states across the country, like New York State, for example, has been cutting back on Medicaid, but doing so under the auspices of giving big corporations, big insurance corporations, more control over uh, the services that are provided. And we know that insurance companies really only care about how to make networks smaller and smaller and smaller and to uh, provide less and less care, uh, but yet disguise themselves as somehow addressing people's health care needs. And I think that is really where the the crime of this election is going to be uh, or is going to need to be investigated is how Joe Biden, if he wins, he does. He has a shot. I mean, look, he has a shot at winning. We we can acknowledge that he also has a big shot, I think, at losing. But (laughs) if he wins, we know what the narrative is going to be. First, we know that the so-called liberal class, the corporate Democrats, they are going to go into overdrive to make the election about decency and decency winning out. And we know that they're going to abandon if, let's say, more young people than we think vote for Biden, more workers than we think vote for Biden. We know that they're going to abandon all of their needs. Um, and sure they're they going will. and they're going to then move towards how do we frame and brand this election as a victory for decency and the American uh, dream and exceptionalism and uh, Biden kind of being this uh, return to normalcy, so to speak. But we know that Donald Trump isn't going to go away. And we know that Donald Trump will likely remain the topic of conversation. We think, I think it's a, a if Donald Trump loses, it would be a mistake to think that somehow he's not going to be the sole focus of the Democratic Party's conversation. Sure. I think he will remain so. Will. And I think he will eat that up. He will use that to build his own cachet, his own brand. He'll probably remain in politics in some form or another in the GOP. And we may be in a very similar situation politically than we think even if Biden wins in both in terms of the optics and in terms of policies. Well, I yeah, I think you're right. First of all, Democrats already use Trump as their poster child for mm-hmm. inaction. Any question, any demand, anything is immediately met with, well, we're better than Trump. Do you want Trump? So um, if Biden wins, that will be the answer to everything. Um, I also I'm afraid that if Biden wins, there will be this collective sigh of relief that Trump has been defeated. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that um, uh, most Democrats will think it's enough to have him in the White House instead of Trump and uh, to just let the Democrats who are supposed to be so much better, let them govern and do whatever they want without any question from the rest of us. I mean, Trump is this singularly awful person, this vile individual who doesn't try to hide it, who had one of the things that um, people are in fear of. He has uh, quite 
uh, openly um, messaged his uh, the right wing pe- people with guns, militias of all kinds during the the one debate. Apparently, there aren't going to be any more debates. Is how it looks. Um, he said of the Proud Boys, just to mention among one group, he said, "Just stand back and stand by," implying, of course, that there's some message he's going to give. He's implied he wouldn't leave office. He has said. Um, uh, he is uh, delegitimizing voting by mail, which is, uh, I think, going to be used more by Democrats than Republicans. So that adds another layer of uncertainty. So people are afraid and triggered by Trump. And it's and with reason. I'm not saying there's no reason um, to feel that way. But all of this adds to um, this belief that the only First of all, Americans are only encouraged to vote. We're not encouraged to do anything else politically. We're not encouraged to organize. We're not encouraged to make, we are discouraged from doing anything else. Actually, the things that actually uh, um, will guarantee us change, we're told not to do or not to bother with. So the the impact of Trump is going to linger for a long time. And um, uh, his presence uh, as the president will ensure that the Democrats will have another weapon uh, to beat people or to browbeat, to vote shame, uh, to um, to propagandize, to propagandize Democrats into being silent as uh, they proceed to do everything they want to do. Yes, I've always questioned whether the Democratic Party at this point, given the crisis of the entire system, the crisis of imperialism, the crisis of the economic system, always questioned since Obama left office in 2016 and then now especially whether the Democratic Party really does care about winning the Oval Office. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it I mean, of course, I think it would be a, it would be completely baseless to say, oh, yeah, they don't care at all. But I will say that there is, I think, a relative sense of calm about the way that the Democratic Party approaches uh, politics now, this kind of hubris you see with Nancy Pelosi going on mm-hmm. even CNN and making kind of a, an embarrassment out of herself with Wolf Blitzer not expecting any tough questions not expecting anything difficult calling no. herself awesome calling herself her the power of the speaker is awesome yet then saying that oh there's so many there's so many components to legislating uh, a stimulus bill on Wolf Blitzer's show and it and I think there is this underestimation that's intentional of Donald Trump and Mm -hmm. everything that he represents because Donald Trump has benefited both the corporate media, which is very, very much intertwined with the Democratic Party at this point in terms of their ratings and their profits, but it's also benefited the Democratic Party elite in the sense that Donald Trump is the perfect foil to blame Mm -hmm. everything on He's even better than, let's say, a George W. Bush, who represented a pretty significant faction within the ruling class as a whole. I mean, going all the way back to his grandfather, uh, his dad in the CIA, uh, you know, multiple times, and then also, of course, president as well. But with George W. Bush, he represented kind of a member of their team. Well, Donald Trump, not necessarily a member of their team. He's a he's a member of the oligarchy of the corporate uh, class, but he is not a member of their political team. Uh, the, he's not a part of the state, and he represents this perfect foil for them now that he is there. And 
he has so many qualities about him which are easily targeted. But then there's this other aspect of this that's very interesting to just bring up really quick is um, there have been conversations about, okay, Joe Biden is so obviously impaired. He has cognitive issues. He's on the older side. Even to this day, you know, at the town halls, you see he makes so many errors. I mean, I think mm-hmm. at one of the town halls, he, uh, you know, he was talking about like a young he said black he was ready male. For this in a, <laughs> yeah, he said he was right for this edit. Then he was talking about a young black male in a hood uh, potentially being like, uh, you know, don't don't arrest him or beat him up. The police shouldn't do that because he could be another, no, you know, poet laureate or something very just off putting that should have been kind of like front and center, uh, you're, you know, you, you still got a lot of issues. He can't really speak. And they chose him. The Democratic Party elite coalesced around him. Uh, they, they pulled in all of their Republican machinery, all of their military industrial complex machinery, intelligence machinery. They coalesced around him. They knocked the legs out of all the other candidates that were supposedly, that were also on the establishment side, but competing against him. They pulled them all in and said, okay, we're going for Biden. And you know, just the fact that they chose him, I think, represents uh, and you still see to this day that Obama says this is going to be closer than we think it's going to be. And the reason why he says that is because I think a lot of the Democratic Party elite knows that he might lose. But well, sure. the donors don't really care. Why don't they care? Well, Donald Trump has served their interests in many different ways, from the military to uh, the financial bailout to um, to the big tax breaks, and then the media. The media is such a big component of how the U.S. operates now because short of being able to do anything for the people, to do anything for workers, oppressed people, black people, forget it. You know, short of doing anything for the masses of people, the media, the portrayal of the United States, the narrative, the public relations part of politics becomes predominant. And that's what we have right now is that is what's predominant. How does the U.S. look um, to not even the world? I think that's also that's that's been thrown out. I don't think Joe Biden says, oh, we're not going to send kisses and things to dictators. I think that looks bad around the world. And so I don't think they're really concerned about how the U.S. looks around the world so much as can the U.S. just remain legitimate in the eyes of a population that, as you say, often is the most propagandized in, in mm-hmm. the world. Yeah, they. Um, uh, uh, you touched on so many things there. Um, I think, do, do the Democrats want to win? Not as they're willing to give up the presidency rather than violate the interests of their uh, donor class. So they prefer to win, but if... If they really wanted to win, they would have gone with the candidate who talked about the things that would guarantee them a victory. It's it's very simple. So they're hoping to, you know, nibble around the edges uh, and they hope to thread that needle finely enough that um, they can get back into office. Um, The CEO, it's funny, the CEO of Boeing said that he's not worried about the election. Boeing is going to be fine no matter who wins. That's that's a guy who knows what the real deal is. So um, uh, there are people like that who know they're always going to be taken care of. And uh, so we find ourselves in this situation. And the whole thing about dictators, that's just some stupid uh, trope made up to try to make uh, Trump 
a P. It's it's a RussiaGate, you know, continuation, RussiaGate mm-hmm. spinoff. Uh, that he does business with. He likes the dictators. Every American president likes dictators. What what the hell are people talking about? Um, and Biden <laughs> vows to continue loving uh, like um, a, the dictatorship of the U.S. I mean, he, he thinks he can win Florida by you know uh, saying he's going to continue sanctions on Venezuela. He's not winning Florida. That's not happening. But you notice that they always brag about getting endorsements from Republicans. John McCain's widow endorses Joe Biden. Who cares? That's not going to move any voters. This um, Lincoln Project, which is just a scam. Anybody who gave them money is just a sucker. They are promoting themselves. And we saw this in 2016. The The Republican Party establishment does not have a hold over the Trump voters. They don't care. So this is these are scams used to convince liberals, actually, to um, to stay in the Biden camp because they think this is somehow going to defeat Trump. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, we're going to probably uh, soon conclude. Uh, yes. But yeah, I think that this is this is one of those moments where There are two lessons that can be learned. One is that fear-driven politics is the correct politics. And so, you know, let's not shake anything up. Let's not try to push policies forward, push movements forward, uh, push a vision for society that can actually meet the needs of people uh, forward. You know, we can go that route and, uh, you know, kind of throw up our hands and whoever wins wins and, and that's sort of what we have to stomach and I think most people are doing that here in the United States or we uh, yeah I, I think those are the two options you could either throw in the towel and just um, allow the duopoly to work as it is and you know uh, hold on to these kind of excuses that I think the ruling class have made up for us you know oh lesser two evils oh we need to um, make sure Trump isn't in an office because of fascism. We need to, uh, you know, or on the opposite end, you know, who really cares, right? So, so I think we have a lot of challenges ahead with this election. It's going to dominate the conversation well after November 3rd, as we all know, because uh, whoever wins won't uh, either, you know, retake office uh, until, you know, won't reaffirm until January if the case of Trump or in the case of Biden won't take office until January. So there will be several months even after this election where the election will be the conversation. And it's a guarantee also that we'll be in this economic crisis as well. The recovery for the United States after losing over a third of its economy after, during the pandemic, right? Uh, I think negative growth of somewhere about 33% is uh, where we're at. So that's going to have huge implications. The food lines all over here in New York City are are extremely long. It's all it's the case all over the country. Tens of millions of people are relying upon mm-hmm. uh, food banks. We know that 8 million people now, uh, more people are now in poverty. And we know that in the next few months, there'll be several other cases of police homicide, of black people. It's That's just kind of how it works here in the United States. We know there will be some sort of foreign policy move by the Trump administration, 
uh, either leading up to the election or after the election to kind of cement either a legacy in the case of Trump if he loses or to cement the policy agenda going forward for all of the different players that care about how the United States conducts itself abroad. You know, the military industrial complex, Israel, all all the partners, uh, they will be looking for guidance on that. And election seasons tend to be uh, when uh, the political class is showing off exactly where the U.S. is going to go in the future. So, yeah, we, we it's going to be a very difficult time. And mm-hmm. I think the most important thing for people to do is whoever is listening to this, whoever is involved in p- political struggles and movements is to... Uh, you know, not surrender, you know, not surrender to right. the corporate duopoly, not surrender to things as they are, but to continuously fi- try to figure out, well, what what are the politics that we need moving forward? And what are the forms of organization that we need moving forward to really ensure that our politics are embodied in society rather than just uh, some posing force that right now um, does not hold any power, right? And I think acknowledging that powerlessness and moving forward to searching for ways to gain actual power, not just electoral power, which I don't think is even possible right now, given the way that AOC and the rest behave. I don't think electoral power is really within the duopoly is really possible. I think what's possible no. is building grassroots alternatives that then bring us to that point where we can shift politics, transform society, uh, rather than just try to reform what I think now is an irreformable It is, system. it is, and I, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I think we get the order wrong. It's putting the cart before the horse. Electoral victory comes after the mass action. That's what people should concentrate on. And the other thing, before we go, I want to point out, because there's so much voting by mail this year. We may not know who the winner is on November 3rd. Just counting the, counting the vote is going to take a very long time. So, um, you know, we'll come back after November 3rd and we'll dissect that. Yes, we will. Yeah, the outcome, you're right. I didn't even think about that. The outcome of this election may not be decided on November 3rd. And all of the optics and circus show politics that have been leading up to this moment, I think will be at their height. All of this, oh, Trump isn't leaving. Oh, is he or is he not? I'm sure Trump will play around with that in terms of mm-hmm. um, if he loses, he'll play around with that it's legally and whatever other mechanisms uh, that he can employ. But it's a great media suck up. You know, it's a great way to get media attention. So, yeah, no, we'll definitely be returning next month in November to break some of this down for you all. Uh you know, this is a monthly program. And so folks that really want to continue to follow us, Margaret and I are always on Twitter. We're always on social media promoting our work uh, at Black Agenda Report. Weekly, we are there. Uh, I know Margaret is everywhere. Um, and, you know, we're doing events and appearances in the media all the time. We have Patreons. We have, um, you know, we both have books and we're on social media. So follow us. Uh, subscribe to this as well, to this uh, channel. Subscribe to the show, like, share it. um, And yeah, we'll be back with you in, in roughly a month. See you guys soon.
Peace. Peace out.